I want to tell you the chaser I'm going to do next week. Oh my god, don't. Okay, I won't. I get so excited. Plus, I'll probably try to look it up then and like know stuff, and I don't want to. Oh yeah, don't do that. Okay, then I'm not going to tell you. All right. Because it's it's kind of you wouldn't you wouldn't know it by watching the episode because it's it's really loosely associated. Hmm. It's a loose association. Loosey goosey. It's the of associations. <laughs> the horse math of association. <laughs> The Horse Math Association. I am the president of the goddamn Horse Math Association. Can you hear my kids screaming? I think it's just part of the way things are, so I don't even hear it anymore. Oh, so I'm like already mad at your kids. Before we started recording, I was like, if they fucking come in and I was oh my like, God. are already pissed. I was like, can be mad at the other adults. She just have a. F- I know that's what I'm saying. Can she just have a fucking thing for a second? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was almost called my mom because I had a resentment <laughs> before we even started recording. And then I was like, what's what's what are you on today, Gabe? Like, you had too much coffee. Like, don't start your yeah. day off like being mad at a hypothetical situation that will happen. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let's do this. Okay. Welcome to SVU Pod. Especially heinous. Season fucking three. We're back. Woo! <laughs> We're on episode one, obviously. It's called Repression. Repression. That was my nickname in high school. Wait, hold on. I'm Gabe. <laughs> I'm Tasha. That's my nickname in high school. That was I'm... my 20s. <laughs> it's like as soon as we're like, let's go. We're like, welcome to SVU Pod. Especially <laughs> We're on season three. We're back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You set yourself up to make fun of yourself. You're like, listen to me. I'm like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, all right, fine. Be normal. Welcome to SU Pod, especially anus. Hell yeah. (laughs) This episode is... It's wild. There was so much. There was so much. I don't know if it was just like because we had like I didn't feel pressed for time working on this episode that Mm -hmm. I have enough information that by the end of it, you're going to be like, I don't care what else this person is in. There's a lot of people randos doing shit in this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm. Also, this episode originally aired on September 28th, 2001. So this season of SVU Mm. came on the heels of September 11th when the Twin Towers fell. Some people are adults that were I know. born then. So, I um, like, I know I can exactly think of, how old I was and where I was when I heard about it. Same, same. And I was yeah. um, a young adult. I was like 18. 18? I was 19. I think. So there was this like strange effort in restarting the country afterwards. Mm-hmm. Everything was like super patriotic and flags and we're all banding together. Everybody in New, in New York mm-hmm. and beyond took breaks with putting anything out because they were like, oh, what what should we do? Because it was a very fucked up time. SVU's opening in the criminal justice system, da 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 da, like that whole mm-hmm. thing. Steve Zorn Kilton read this at the beginning of the first like three episodes. On September 11th, 2001, New York City was ruthless and criminally attacked. While no tribute can ever heal the pain of that day, the producers of Law & Order dedicate this season to the victims and their families and to the firefighters and police officers who remind us every day with their lives and courage what it 
truly means to be an American. So it's removed now in syndication, but at the time Mm -hmm. it aired, again, like the first handful of episodes, they also, at this time, removed the Twin Towers that were shown in the opening credits of the first two seasons. So if you watch it now... I believe that the Twin Towers are still in the first two seasons. Like, they didn't change that. But um, moving forward, they removed them. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, of the 9-11 stuff. Yeah. Oh, God, I remember I was hungover, and we I woke up to my roommate screaming that, like, Afghanistan had bombed America or something. And we were all practically, like, all three of us were, like, practically fist-fighting to use the landline to call our moms. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you know? I didn't have a cell phone yet, so. Okay. So, opening scene. A young, sort of disheveled-looking woman comes into SVU. She sees, like, Munch and Toots and all the dudes, like, talking. And she's like, no, I'm not fucking going in there with a bunch of dudes. And she turns around. And it's almost like she's got a look of disgust. Like, fuck that. I'm just going to leave. Like, she looked completely dazed. But then, all of a sudden, a perfectly pixie-cutted Benson pops around the corner. Mm -hmm. And she's like, can I help you? I love her new haircut. Yeah, she has that, like that short thing going on it's fucking everything she's great yeah mm-hmm. um the woman starts tearing up and says she wants to report a rape and benson's like let's go somewhere private so now we're in a conference room benson slides the girl a cup of coffee not the regular like blue ones that they get when they're like doing the walking <laughs> talks like on the street it's mm-hmm. the like uh fuck jerry ones or whatever they're called the old <laughs> yeah. dixie or whatever they're <laughs> with uh, like the squiggly spray paint line and the other line yeah good description yeah. tasha <laughs> You know the one, the squiggly line one. That's like the, um, like it's white and teal with like a pink, whatever. Yeah, they make like outfits out of it now. It's the fuck Jerry meme thing. Yeah. This girl's name is Megan. Megan tells Benson, he followed me into my apartment last night. So she's just like mid story telling Benson this. She told him to leave and didn't want to ever see him again. And she's doing that like quiver chin thing that like the actors did in the 90s and they, I guess they still do it but it's it gets me every time because of fucking Claire Danes and Romeo and Juliet I've never watched that movie you haven't no oh my god I know you it's have like to. a quintessential Paul Rudd's it is in it. a it's what he Paul is oh for fuck's yeah. sake how do I not know that I was like how could she pick fucking Leo over Paul Rudd oh it was hot in that movie too oh whatever it doesn't matter oh my god the guy hasn't aged a day I know you need to watch that movie though I'll fucking watch it with you because I haven't seen it in forever the soundtrack was amazing I know it's like a cornerstone of like growing up when we did and I just haven't yeah I don't know there was a song that I had on a CD, the soundtrack, and there was a song that was all vocals, and I would always, like, try to nail it, but the CD <laughs> skipped in the same spot, so it would be like, ah, ah, and I would sing it that way. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So, we're all sitting here, like, watching it. Me, anyway. I'm sitting here watching it, thinking that this was a stranger the whole time. Turns out it was her fucking dad. <gasps> Season fucking three, everybody. Yeah, they started off with a bang because this is a fucked up episode. It's super fucked up. I hate this kind of shit. Especially when, well, I don't even want to get ahead of it. But when you get to the end where you're like, wait, I don't know who I'm upset with. And the chaser's kind of the same way. Oh, God. I can't wait. Yeah. So we're in the conference room. Stabler's in there with Benson and Megan now. He's taking a break from the squats that are really going to pay off in 20 years. (laughs) 
Oh, they are. They are. She's like giving them the story about her dad. He started like touching her and stuff when she was in first grade. Like slow progression shit. Yeah. You know, like he showed her like terrible pictures and saying to her that that's how daddies love their little girls, which makes you want to barf. And then it stopped after she got here, period, when she was 14. Yeah. And Benson kind of sighs here. We can already tell that this is going to be tough. Like she's sitting there going, okay, well, this is old and this is all the shit that comes along with somebody. Statues of limitations and all that shit, yeah? Yeah. So it's been four years ago since she turned 14. That's when she got her period or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Benson tells her it's going to be hard to prove. Stabler tells Megan that they can't charge for the earlier abuse because the statute of limitations only extends back five years, which sucks. It's one of those things that I know, but it always reshocks me when I hear it that there is a statute you know? on that shit. Yeah. I, it makes sense that there's no statute of limitations on murder. But now that there's like right. DNA shit and everything, that's something that needs to change as well. Right? With yeah, like... I agree. Sexual assaults and shit? Yes. Yep. I don't know. Nothing sexual happened to her the night when he pushed his way into her apartment. Yeah. So Megan is very upset and she's like crying again and she's like, what about Lily? And they're like, who the fuck is Lily? It's her little sister. She's seven. And that's the same age Megan was when her dad started molesting her. Mm. And so Megan said she was at her parents' house yesterday afternoon to do laundry and she walked in on her dad touching Lily. He was touching her just like he used to touch me. Ew, don't say it. That's what she said. I know. Now we're in the squad room. Craigan's dressed to the nines on his way to the mayor's luncheon like full Mm -hmm. cop eating a soft pretzel num 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 dressed up (laughs) yeah Benson stops to tell him about the background on Megan's and Lily's father. And Craigan's like, make it quick. Sorry, we don't want to make you late for your fucking tiny cucumber sandwiches, but we've got this <laughs> yeah, ex- sex crime to talk to you about. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> tiny little fucking sandwiches are waiting for me. Luncheon. Like a mayor, The mayor's luncheon. Like, whatever. I'm surprised he just didn't, like, rip off his clothes and he had, like, a suit and tie underneath it. And he was like, let's get this done. Yeah. Like, Craigan, you're supposed to be prioritizing it. He's like, oh, wow. I get that you get like your job becomes a job at some point, but yeah, he's like, come back to me when we got something to talk about. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Wow, dad. I've got a refreshing cucumber water in my future. So fucking (laughs) fuck this kid. Is that what I think luncheons are? I'm like, I don't know what a luncheon is, but I just know that it's like cucumber sandwiches for sure, though. The cucumber lobby is huge on luncheons. (laughs) They're all over New York. Okay, so his name's Evan Ramsey, and he runs Sutherland Pharmaceuticals and just donated a wing to the East Harlem's Children's Hospital. Stabler Mm -hmm. chimes in saying that Rebecca Sutherland is Evan Ramsey's wife and daughter of the company's founding father. Mm. And they both have two more kids besides Megan. Jody, who's 15, and as we know, Lily, who's seven. Mm -hmm. So they're pretty much working two cases. A rape just shy of the statute of limitations and a possible molestation with Lily. Benson tells Cragen that Munch and Toots are checking in with child services, looking for family priors. And Benson and Stabler are going to go talk to Megan's mom, Rebecca Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Megan and Rebecca aren't on speaking terms also. Yeah. Okay, so be it, uh, Benson and Stabler are talking to Rebecca Sutherland. They're at her house. Her dad is there. Wait, we're not. We're, we got to stop because this is this is where I'm going to be interrupting you the whole time. 
Okay. So Benson and Stabler are talking to Rebecca Sutherland at the Sutherland home. This actor is Amy Irving. She played Sue Snell in the original Carrie. She's also been in all of the sequels. She was married to Steven Spielberg in the 80s. And she's got a familiar face because she's been in a ton of shit. But fun fact that has nothing to do with her face. She voiced goddamn Miss Kitty in a little 1991 blockbuster hit, Fifel Goes West. No way. Doesn't that make it better? Like slutty Miss Kitty? Yeah. Oh my That's God. Her. No way. I fucking love those Fievel movies. Me too. I don't I don't need to Google this right now. I have a whole fucking night no. of not sleeping to do that. Just trust <laughs> me that I have all of the information that you didn't ask for for this episode. Oh, send it all to me. She has like all of these credits and I'm like, fucking Fievel goes west. <laughs> Oh, shit. So Benson and Stabler are talking to Rebecca. They're at her Mm. house. Her dad is there slash Megan's grandpa. Okay, go ahead. Mm. So she swears that she would know that if her husband was raping their children. (sighs) Her dad chimes in and she's like, you've always had a blind spot when it comes to her husband. And she's like, please, father. Obviously, the dad doesn't like his daughter's husband. Mm -hmm. Rebecca says that Megan is just lashing out and that she's a very angry young woman. She thinks that all of Megan's anger is coming from a therapist she's been seeing, Dr. Wharton. So Megan started seeing this therapist when she went to Columbia. Rebecca sarcastically says that Megan has, quote, become an expert in what she calls our family dysfunction. So Benson's like, well, you know, it's fucking hard for like daughters to share this info with their moms, which it is. I mean, you don't whatever. Right. Well, especially when the mom responds like that, like her response is pretty cliche, no matter how this like all ends up panning out. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not comfortable with my daughter getting therapy. Oh, you're an expert on our family dysfunction now, aren't you? Right. Like that sounds yeah. very like. Like, why would I want to come to you to any for anything? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Rebecca. Miss Kitty says it's not the first time she's made up stories to get attention. Woof. Yeah. So Stabler wants to talk to Jody and Lily. The other sisters. Rebecca's like not into it. But Stabler's like, dude, the sooner that we can talk to them, the sooner we can close this out. And fucking Miss Kitty's dad's like, they'll fucking be there. He's actually like really helpful in the moment. He's like, let's do this. You know? Yeah. Stabler's kind of pushing her to do what they want. And she's like, ugh, like she doesn't want to do it. But her butler looking dad leans in, like leans into her face really close. And he's like, they'll mm-hmm. be there. Yeah. And you see the whole like, oh, that's right. I'm your daughter. I'm back to being a kid. We'll do whatever you say, dad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. So now we're at Whole Life Recovery Center. Benson and Stabler this, are at Dr. Oh, I know. familiar. Yeah. yeah, she did. I didn't know yeah. who she was, but she looked really familiar. Go ahead. Okay. So Benson and Stabler are at Dr. Wharton's office. This this fucking lady, her name mm-hmm. is Shirley Knight. She just died last year. Hmm. Oh, she's also super recognizable and in, in a ton of stuff. She has credits all the way back into the 1950s. No way. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. But our lowbrow asses would know her as one of the old lady BFFs in Grandma's Boy. Oh, yeah. The kind yeah. of like dummy yeah. one. Yes. Right. She yeah. also comes back to SVU in 2003 as another character. There's a bunch of people in here where I'm just like, okay, you've played two people on SVU. You've played two people. You played three people. You... But for a quick yeah. second, I was like her face immediate. Like I immediately recognize it. It's very familiar, but she doesn't have any like gigantic credits. And for a quick second, I was positive that she was the get me out of here lady that jumps on the windshield in Happy Gilmore. But that is oh. Helen Honeywell. Can you tell this <laughs> took me for fucking ever? Because I was like, well, then who's that? lady 
Well, because then I, it like solidified it for me even more when I was like, oh, she was in Grandma's Boy because all of those yeah, Sandler people, are... they act together all the time. I'm like, oh, maybe she got a bigger role in Grandma's Boy after she jumped down the hood of his fucking car when yeah. Ben Stiller was the fucking orderly. Fucking the mean orderly. Yeah, You're in my oh. world now, Grandma. <laughs> So, so Dr. Wharton, this therapist says that Megan came to her suffering with bulimia and depression. She says that eating disorders stem from deeper trauma and she believes childhood incest was Megan's trauma that led her there. Mm -hmm. The only reason she said she didn't report what Megan told her is because Megan is an adult and she had asked Megan over and over if she thought her sisters were at risk and Megan insisted that they weren't. But then Megan had called her therapist and said she reported her dad for abusing her youngest sister, Lily. Olivia is worried about Megan being emotionally ready for a police investigation, but Dr. Wharton said that Megan came to them, so that tells her she's on the road to recovery and, like, Mm -hmm. can handle it to some degree. You know, because she's, like, ready to face it. Yeah. Like, she took action herself. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Munch and Toots are at child services. This woman had to dig pretty deep to find a file. There was a doctor's report for Megan when she was seven. She had vaginal Mm. bleeding after a bicycle accident supposedly. The doctors found bruises on her butt, but Megan said it was from riding horses at her grandpa's farm. She had trouble urinating from taking too many, quote, bubble baths. You can get UTIs from that shit. Yeah. There were a series of follow-up visits, but the case was closed. So, you know, it's like, well, are those the things that happen? Do they not happen? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. All that shit can happen. Yeah. But when there's like a pattern of like vaginal trauma, that's going to make a detective of sex crimes go, huh. Right. And that's why like when you take your kids to the doctor's office, right, they're always like, even with you, right, didn't they you had something happen you went to the doctor and they had john leave their room or something to make sure it oh wasn't like they do yeah when i was when i was which is um, i fucking love that i fucking no love i do that. too but yeah no when i was yeah. pregnant they would always want to talk to me privately the only time with the kids is when darla broke her arm mm-hmm. and john was there and i w- like i was in the kitchen and he was in the basement with her when she fucking took a digger off the couch and he mm-hmm. was i facetimed him so he could describe exactly like what happened because he seemed really freaked out which of course it's like you're the dad and and the doctor had asked like did you grab her by the arm and pull her up like after she fell you know not trying to Mm -hmm. say like did you hurt your kid but he was like oh I I could tell he was nervous and then you could tell it was from like her and the doctor said it once she saw the x-ray she's like this break is from a kid like catching themselves and right yeah like a uh, what is it called a compression fracture or something like that so now we're in the squad room benson and stabler are talking to craig and who i can only assume is delightfully stuffed from the mayor's luncheon (laughs) (laughs) that's so stupid (laughs) what are those little french cookies they look like little sandwiches macarons or macaroons macaroons yeah that's what i imagine him eating there's like a spread of pastel macaroons and he's like i mean maybe one more (laughs) i shouldn't okay schmooze schmooze (laughs) tax brackets fucking i don't know anything about politics yeah he's probably just like i hope everybody else doesn't think i'm weird because i work in sex crime just want to be like everybody else But since they are letting Craigan know that Megan has had a history of emotional problems, predictably Craigan starts talking about how Megan's dad is like a community leader and known for his good works and political clout and to have everything all in a row to deal with Megan's dad and his lawyers. Boo. Yeah. That always fucking comes in. He's always dealing with like powerful white men. Right. He walked in the room. He yeah. took off his fucking fancy luncheon jacket, his soft pretzel <laughs> eating jacket. 
Okay, so Munch pops into Kragen's office. He, he lets him know about the child abuse charges against Evan Ramsey and how there was no evidence. And it's also interesting his wife, Miss Kitty, didn't mention that. I gotta stop We need her to Miss call Kitty. her Rebecca. We cannot be calling yeah, her Miss Kitty. It's interesting his wife, Rebecca, didn't mention that at all when they went to mm-hmm. her house. Stabes felt that way, too. Yeah. Kragen wants them to find out everything they can before Evan Ramsey gets back into town. Just then, Rebecca and Megan's younger sisters come into the squad room. Kragen wants them all in separate rooms to try to see if they'll confirm Megan's story. Yeah, and then Kragen's like, I'll see if I can wear down mom with my charm. And he grabs his decorated jingly jangly coat from the back of his chair. Ooh, better put on my flashies before I go see her. I keep like lifting my bra straps like they're um, suspenders and I'm just jiggling my (laughs) poops around. (laughs) I know. This is like the first day in three months that I've worn a normal bra and not a fucking sports bra. So they just feel... Feel wild right now. <laughs> They're in this like chatty conference room. Olivia's talking to seven year old Lily while Lily's coloring. Lily is played by a baby faced Sarah Highland. Who's that? She played Haley in Modern Family, the oldest sister, right? Oh. She also comes back as another person in SVU in 2009. Okay. Hmm. I did not recognize her at first. At first, I'm just like, oh my God, this doughy eyed little brunette is so stinking cute. So Benson's asking her all of these, I'm trying to see if you're getting molested questions. Mm -hmm. Lily doesn't really know what's going on or why everyone's mad at her dad. And she's like, I love my daddy. I just want him to stop hurting Megan. Ooh. Yeah. Don't call him daddy. All right. Now we're in another room. Sailor's with the 15 year old sister of Megan, Jody. I'm I'm sorry, you guys. I'm sorry. We've already seen Jody. When she played a gymnast in the season two episode, Pixies, she talks like a fucking 50s Disney princess. Yes, I hate her voice. Sometimes he and Megan would argue, but he was just trying to keep her out of trouble. Like legit 100%. That's her fucking voice. Mm -hmm. Sorry, young actress. I didn't write her actual name down, but it's very Jody. Alice. Alice, I'm following the white rabbit. Like, fuck off. Yeah, I hate it. She says sometimes her dad spends a lot of weird time with Lily. What does that mean, Gabe? Oh, <laughs> like he, like he'll give her baths with the door locked and she's like seven. Or he'll go into her room at night and Jody will hear her crying. And like one night, Jody woke up and saw her dad changing Lily's sheets. And Lily was crying on the floor without any like pants on. And he just told Jody to go to bed. So I was like, ugh. She hasn't wet the bed since she was two. Yeah. It's almost transatlantic. She hasn't wet the bed since she was two. When she grows up, she's going to have a chiffon robe. Hello? Open the doors. Hello? Is anyone there? French doors. Do come in, but please don't bring the draft. I thought, are you sure it's transatlantic? I thought it was like pan-Atlantic or something like that. The way of speaking is transatlantic. Okay. Google it. So now we're on the other side. I don't care. So now we're on the other side of the (laughs) glass. Um... Uh, we're on the other side of the of the glass in Kragen's office. Rebecca, Miss Kitty, is watching, and she okay. Rebecca is watching, and she's like shocked. Hey, Kitty girl. Craigan wants, <laughs> wants permission to search Lily's room. Rebecca is like seriously upset mm-hmm. and like runs out. So Benson finds her and lets her know Megan is here to see her. And oh my god, it's intense. She is pensively looking out of a window. So Megan is crying and comes around the corner. She's like, where were you? You weren't here for me when, you know, her dad raped her at 12. Mm. So Rebecca starts crying and she's like, I didn't know. At first she's like, it's not true. It can't be. Like, it's very, there's a lot of emotions are being thrown around while you watch mom, like, realize that she believes her daughter. That this was happening 
under her nose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Benson again asks Rebecca for permission to search the house and to do physical exams on Jody and Lily. And she's like holding her daughter and she's like, fucking do it. Do whatever you need. I want my kids safe. This whole moment that their relationship has been crawling to a, a summited peak is mm-hmm. being watched by Olivia Benson from an awkward place of like three feet away. Like they're like, right. I didn't know. Why didn't you take care of me? And Benson's yeah. like with us just on the sidelines going like, when you guys are done, um, is it cool if we like check out your house and stuff? I don't want to be an opportunist here, but this seems like a great time for me to bring up like, we need to get into your house. Do you mind? So now we're at the house, Megan, Jody, Lily, and Rebecca, and they're all there with all the cops, which I think is super weird. Then It's so fucking weird. Yeah. It's like, why are they there? I had so many thoughts about it when I saw it. I'm like, why are the kids there? Yeah. Why would you have the children and the wife there of the person that's molesting them? It doesn't make any sense. It's okay. weird. Like during, during the arrest, it's like, we got to toss the house. Kids pull up a chair. <laughs> Yeah, we want you to watch the whole thing. So Stabler calls Olivia upstairs to Lily's room. There's fucking child abuse images, right? Yeah, so when you said... We haven't talked about this since somebody sent us that email. Was it Mary? Someone sent us a message. We were always saying kitty porn because that's how they refer to it. And that's how it's always been referred. And then we got an email and I believe it was from Mary, but I'm not 100% sure saying that that term is no longer used because it's lessening the severity of what it is. Like it's making the, the wording more palatable. It doesn't imply abuse. Yeah. Even though it might it's be. It's not porn. So, it's fucking kids getting like raped and yeah. molested. So it's called child sexual abuse material or child sex abuse images, you know, whatever. Right. So that's what, no matter what they say on the show, like that is how we will be referring to it. Right. So they found child sexual abuse images under Lily's mattress and a pair of men's underwear behind the bed. So Evan Ramsey gets home and he's like, Rebecca, what the fuck's going on? Like he has no idea what's going on. He comes back to SVU in 2003. Oh, he does? Mm-hmm. Hmm. By the time I got to the middle-aged white guy, I'm like, I don't care. He comes back in 2003. We'll talk about it then. So he has no idea what's going on. Olivia's like, dude, fucking let's not do this in front of your daughters. Like for the sake of your kids, like just come with us. And then it cuts to Lily watching on, crying and fully being traumatized when it could have easily been avoided. But here we are, all of us in this room. Yeah. Fucking bananas. Hey, I'm sorry I had to stop here because you needed me to sign this to allow whatever to happen. And I had to bring my kids with. It's like, no, we're all standing there inside the house waiting for him to come home. Like we're a fucking group of carolers that just came to the door. And we're like, ooh, we're a little chilly. Can we warm up in your foyer? (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, the mom is even like, he's going to be home any minute. Why didn't the cop? stop him at the door <laughs> all of it's fucked because at this point every single person is like okay we're dealing with a guy who has sexually assaulted his daughters mm-hmm. yeah we're in the inter- interrogation room with benson stabler and evan ramsey he's like so confused he's insisting he didn't rape megan and says that she's angry and confused obviously benson stabler don't believe him he says that she's angry at him for threatening to drop payments for her tuition if she didn't break up with her boyfriend and like really work at college he's like that's why mm-hmm. she's mad at me and saying this and she, benson's like um and she's crying rape over it yeah um and he's, he's like i keep trying to get through to her and she keeps pulling away he's like i can't even hug her without her like acting like i'm contagious or something like he's like i don't know what's going on mm-hmm. stabler says megan saw him fondling lily and he was like oh my god i was helping her into her pajamas and then they like throw those images those child abuse images at him 
saying that they found that in his underwear. And he's like, oh my God, this is disgusting. This did not happen. Obviously, he's going to say that. Saber tries to do that thing. Come on, man. Like, this is, he's got to, you got to feel some relief, you know? Now you can get some help. Yeah. And then they start laying into him about how hard prison is for child molesters and like do that whole Mm -hmm. line of shit with him. And he's like, I fucking want my lawyer like now. So we're on the other side of the glass in Craigan's bunker. Craigan and Cabot are there watching. They don't have anything to corroborate Megan's rape. Just Megan's testimony. There's nothing they can really do at this point. So Lily's exam shows vaginal irritation, but nothing conclusive. And Jody's was completely negative. So all they have is the photos and the underwear, which is a lot to me. But um, Mm -hmm. Megan passed the polygraph, but we all know that's not admissible. So they're like, dude, we have to get him on something. Like, he's just going to go back to home to his family and those daughters. So Cabot says, okay, fine, arrest him for the rape. So we're in the hallway. Benson and Stabler are walking him handcuffed. And Rebecca pops out of nowhere. And she's, like, attacking him. And she's like, why? Like, am I not good enough? Which I thought was a weird thing to say. Ew, yeah. So Benson's holding Rebecca back. Staves is holding Evan back. She's like screaming at him. I want to know why. Wasn't I enough? And he's yelling oh. back. And he's like, how could you even think that? Look at me. Yeah. yeah. And then her great acting when she was like, let go of me. <laughs> yeah. Both of them just seem like desperate and upset. And it's so hard because like when we watch these, usually you and I will constantly be like, "Ooh, this person seems really believable. But I notice that neither of us have said that about him so far yeah. because it's so fucking he's the guy's really good at playing like really confused at well yeah yeah, at first i was just like oh man maybe this isn't true like maybe this wasn't really happening but then he's like the reasoning for why he was like in his daughter's room and like oh she had a nightmare Mm -hmm. and she and like the jody saying that yeah Yeah. like jody saying all that stuff that was like was like oh Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's like just begging her to not believe it and she's just pissed. So now they're yeah. at the arraignment. Evan Ramsey pleads not guilty, of course. It's that one judge that we love. Forget her name. She's not the like tea drinking one. She sort of reminds me of Mike Myers when he does the coffee talk lady. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll pick a topic. Yeah, just like a sassy New York lady. Older yeah. New York lady. And I think it's mainly because she's like brunette. But I'm- Yeah. Cabot wants a big bail. His lawyer says he's like, he's a danger to no one. He's awesome in the community, blah, blah, blah. Blah, and then the judge was like, well, except perhaps his daughters. And I was like, oh. just cut to that gif of like <laughs> 10 dudes in a parking lot jumping back. Like, like oh, <laughs> yeah. And then the one guy like runs across yeah. the floor, like, like with his face. <laughs> like, oh. yeah. So she sets the bail at 500,000 or 5 million surety, which I don't know what that means. Tasha does. Yeah. Surety is just like bringing in a third party, which it's bounty hunter shit. Cabot asks for order protection so the dude can't enter the family home or within 100 yards of the girls. And she grants it. So now we're in the kid room in the precinct. So it's like where they interview kids. So Huang is in there talking to Lily. Benson Cabot Stabes and mom Rebecca are on the other side of the glass watching and talking as Mm. Huang's talking talking to Lily. Rebecca's really beating herself up that she didn't see what was happening. She had taken Lily to Megan's therapist, Dr. Wharton, who told her that all of the symptoms of molestation are there for Lily. And she's like, why didn't I see it? Olivia tells Rebecca that her husband went through a lot of trouble to keep her from seeing it and that Lily's probably repressing it. Mm -hmm. Juan comes out of the room and Rebecca immediately wants to talk to her. He gestures for her to 
go to her daughter while he proceeds to relay shit to the rest of the team. So he's having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Mom's not in the room. Lily hasn't disclosed anything, he says. And Benson's like, she's scared. Juan can't push her too much because he's afraid she's going to clam up. But they have to have her testimony by the day after tomorrow or they can't indict with Megan's case. He's Mm -hmm. like... I'll do my best, but it's a slow dance and I have to follow her lead. And I'm like, there's Mm -hmm. that conversational SVU drama we love. (laughs) Yep. They're in the crime lab now. Munch and Toots. Hey, guys. Munch and Toots are in the crime. (laughs) are in the crime lab. I was thinking about them like a couple uh, scenes prior. Like, oh, I haven't seen those guys in a minute. And then when they came on the screen, I was like, oh, hi. Hey, hey, everybody. Where you guys been? Hey, you two. Crazy bunch. You guys working on a different case? What are you thinking about? You guys getting Chinese food and eating it in your car? <laughs> Don't throw away those cookies. So the DNA and hair in the underwear found in Lily's room matched Evan Ramsey. Mm. But there was nothing in the bed sheets or Lily's night clothes, though. And they couldn't find prints on the pictures, but they found a date by the edge of the paper where it had been cut and it was printed and downloaded on a Tuesday. But Evan Ramsey was out of town on a Tuesday. So what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're at the Ramsey house. Benson and Olivia and forensics are taking the family computer. Rebecca doesn't know how to turn the dang thing on. What? Um, <laughs> so no one was around on Tuesday because they were trying to figure out who was home that maybe the pictures were planted. Yeah, you know? Rebecca was like, my kids were at school and I was at my lawyer's office filing for divorce. And they're like, mm-hmm. what about Megan? Well, she's in college and has a chemistry class on Tuesday mornings. And the detectives are like, we're going to need to talk to her. She also has a key to the house, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're at the college now. Benson and Stabler are talking to Megan. They're doing like a walk and talk. So she dropped her class on Tuesday and is working with a tutor in the mornings. This tutor guy's name is Michael Tobin but she wasn't with him last Tuesday because he was her boyfriend and they broke up. So she was at the mm-hmm. library studying on Tuesday morning. Something is up here and you can tell Benson and Sailor know it too. She's like, I gotta, I, I'm going to be late for class. I got to get out of here. We can talk about it later. Yeah. Munch and Toots are with this computer officer guy. What? Mm-hmm. So this guy's got like... There was zero cool from hackers. <laughs> hey, 40-year-olds, you're going to love that. <laughs> So this computer cop is showing Munch and Toots his boring ass findings. They find mm. out that Evan Ramsey's computer is completely clean. It's nothing but work stuff, even on his laptop. Mm. So his account was accessed by another computer. Maybe what? the libraries? The school mm. libraries? The computer cop sends them to ISP to find out that computer's location. Mm-hmm. Craigan, Benson, and Stabler are having a walk and talk. They're trying to figure out how to get Lily's testimony. And Craigan goes, does Dr. Wharton accept walk-ins? Because he's a comedic fucking genius. <laughs> they want to go talk to Dr. Wharton because Rebecca took Lily to see her and Lily supposedly talked to Dr. Wharton. So now Benson and Stabler are at Dr. Wharton's office and they're talking to the therapist outside. Dr. Wharton is willing to see Lily again and help get testimony from her. So Dr. Wharton's like, oh yeah, she's super helpful in this moment. She's like, well, I'm happy to see Lily again and maybe in a therapy way I can help get testimony from her because she trusts her at this point. Yeah, they like developed a rapport. Yeah. Right. During this time, Olivia answers her cell phone and comes back and says that Munch traced the photos from under Lily's bed to a computer at the student library at Columbia. Where Megan goes. Cut to an interrogation room where we see Megan looking very stressed out as Benson and Stapes Mm. confront her with their information. They're telling her that she downloaded the pics at school and planted the pictures 
in the underwear. And she's like, no, I didn't. And they're like, mm, yeah, you did. <laughs> she starts crying and saying he's going to get away with it again. So they're like, let it out, honey. She says when he came to her apartment, he threatened to sue her therapist and send her to a mental hospital. She said that she was desperate and she had to stop him. Because like then nobody would believe her. She was just like this quote unquote like crazy girl in mental hospital, like saying that her dad raped her. Yeah. You know. Right. Exactly. Motion hearing. Ramsey's lawyer wants the charges dropped. Cabot says that it has nothing to do with the rape case, but Evan Ramsey's lawyer says that it does show that the complaining witness, Megan, isn't maybe the best at truth. <laughs> That's how I mm-hmm. wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> she isn't that great the... at truth <laughs> it's not my so, strongest also, point yeah i'm just yeah, i'm gonna leave that in and they're also i mean i guess you are <laughs> I know. Was, <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> there's also no physical evidence to support Megan's allegations. So the case is dismissed. D- the case is dismissed. The fucking oh. judge goes, Mr. Ramsey, you're free to go with the court's apology. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm so mad whenever anyone is nice to a cis white guy. Would, you, <laughs> would he apologize to like a wayward teen? Would he apologize to a black guy? Would he apologize mm-hmm. to an immigrant? No. Right. No. A woman even? You'd be like, you wasted my time somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe not this time, but I'm sure I'll see you again. But he's like, oh, I'm sorry, other white man. Please leave with the court's apology. They don't hand those things out like fucking brochures. Right. What else gets handed out? They don't hand those out like those weird candies at Halong Bay. They don't hand those out like Andy's mints at Olive Garden. They don't hand those out like peppermints at... 80s Pizza Hut. (laughs) They don't hand those out like Dolly Parton handed out vaccines. Anyway, oh my God. Case is doing this. I know. Case is dismissed. Dismissed. You keep saying case is dismissed. Case is dismissed. Case is dismissed. Let me know when you. It's enough Parmesan. (laughs) Ooh, ah, bellissima. Case is dismissed. You look so beautiful tonight. Case of the mist. <laughs> all right, all right. Evan Ramsey. Evan Ramsey runs on. Oh my god. Evan Ramsey runs up to Megan and his kids and wife and shit. And he's like, "Honey, I know you didn't mean to do this." Megan just fucking keeps walking, and Rebecca's like, "I want you moved out by the end of the week." Mm-hmm. So like, and then I'm like, "Damn, did this dude do it?" It's the, but there's like 20 minutes left. I know there has to be like another crazy twist. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So now we're at the bar. And we never get to see these guys like hanging out outside of work mm-hmm. or like taking yeah. a beer break. I don't know. Benson, Stabes, Toots and Munch are all at the bar having beers. Stabler gets a phone call on his cellular, cellular phone. So he walks away on his phone. Benson is talking to the other dudes and she's like, she was trying to help her sister. And Munch is like, mm-hmm. well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Nobody fucking says that shit. Oh, yeah. I said, thanks, Hobby Lobby home decor. Like, <laughs> right. Get out of here, live, laugh, love. <laughs> Munch comes into the kitchen on Thanksgiving. And he's like, gather, right, everybody? <laughs> he's the Ray Dunn of people. <laughs> Spoon, we fucking know. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. But first, coffee. <laughs> Don't talk to me unless I've had my coffee. <laughs> oh. Gabe. You should put that on a mug and a shirt and a dish towel and a piece of driftwood. Oh, shit. Yeah, spoon. I know. I fucking know. Yeah, that's a good one, Tasha. That's funny. Thanks. All right, so Stabes comes back to the group. Craig and called. 
Evan Ramsey was murdered. And then all in unison, they're like... They were all, did you notice how like awkward they were like, okay guys, this scene's at the bar. We're all going to be sitting around drinking beers. And after everything, each one of them said, they're like, well, can't believe that's happening. (laughs) Oh yeah. Fucking if life gets too hard to stand, Neil, am I right? You. (laughs) Oh yeah. God. When you only saw one set of footprints, (laughs) that's when I was carrying you. Oh, okay. God, an- remember that 30 to 50 hog thing? <laughs> 30 to 50 feral, feral hogs. hogs. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite meme that I remember from all that was. I know when, when you're you only say- saw once. <laughs> we only saw one fed of, set of 30 to 50 feral hog footprints. Know that they are carrying you. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm going. Pa- <laughs> I'm, we got to do this. I know. I'm getting sweaty. I'm getting fucking okay. sweaty. We're at Evan Ramsey's office. Coroner Warner's there telling Benson Stabler it was a single gunshot to the chest. Dropped his ass. Close range. Wasn't too long ago because there was no rigor. And then I Googled how long does rigor take because I couldn't get past fucking anything this episode for some reason. So rigor mortis usually takes two to four hours on average to set in. That's the only okay. detail that I need to leave in there, but I read a bunch about it. So this cop brings in Richard Weiss, one of the company's executives. He's the one that also found the body. And I thought this guy looked like a little groundhog, didn't he? Which I saw him, and like, this is another reason why I, like, I almost wish I didn't have your notes, because I was like, this guy kind of looks like a woodchuck. And then I got to this part, and you're like, this guy looks like a groundhog. And I'm like, are woodchucks and groundhogs <laughs> oh the god, same love, thing? Oh my god, I love you so much. Are they the same thing? Woodchucks <laughs> and groundhogs? I don't know. They might be different. Hold on. Uh, woodchuck. If they are, I'm leaving it's, my husband. It's a groundhog. <laughs> a groundhog is also a groundhog is also known as a woodchuck. Holy shit. Okay. I love you so much. I love you too. Touch fingers through the computer. Bloop. That's so fucking bizarre. I know. Because, yeah, well, chills. you know why? It was his little, it was the way his lip was shaped and his little teeth. Yeah. Because you ever see oh like a potato chip and go, wow, that looks a lot like Jay Leno. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so this guy, this guy, he says they were both working late. Shut up. You know what I mean, this, though? Like, yes, why I we do. both thought the same animal. Okay, go, go. Okay. It's weird that we thought of the same animal. It's really weird. He could have been any animal. He could have been a camel. I could have said camel. Whatever. I could have said Joe Cool. <laughs> Okay, go. All right. So this guy says that they were both working late and he cut out at like nine to grab some food, came back around 10, 30 or 11 and saw Ramsey's light on. So he popped in to say goodnight and found Ramsey's body. <gasps> yeah. He doesn't know anyone who would do something like this to Evan, except maybe his father-in-law. This is like Charles Sutherland, the one at the beginning, the dad of mm-hmm. Rebecca. Um, yeah. They had a tense relationship. Charles wasn't happy Ramsey took the company public and felt like Ramsey stole the company from him. And then the molestation charges added to the fuel. And then I always thought it was like super weird. So this guy knew Ramsey was accused of child molestation and like wanted to pop in and say goodnight to him. Like, I don't know. You know, what? I would probably like try to avoid him for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, it's weird. Like with that in mind. Hold on. I wrote dudes would rather say goodnight to a child molester than go get therapy. Prove me wrong. <laughs> but like on the back of that when he's like i don't know anyone who would want to do something like this to evan well he's got child molestation charges kind of following him around right now so i feel like there's a yeah. lot more people than maybe two weeks ago that might want to hurt him now 
You know what I mean? Right. It was just yeah. weird things like, I don't know who would want to hurt him. Anyway, that child molestation stuff really got his father-in-law fired up. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sure did, Richard Weiss. <laughs> Richard! It's like, oh, no, it's, I don't know. I know. <laughs> um... Sure. So Charles Charles had stormed into Ramsey's office earlier in the day, calling him a rapist and told him he wasn't going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's got people that aren't pumped about him. Yeah. So Benson Stabler are at Charles Sutherland's house. He's got like fucking butterflies everywhere, and I was like, oh my god, is this going to be like season two where that orchid guy's pollen was in like Russian twins underwear thing? Old rich white guys have the weirdest fucking hobbies. Yeah. At least on SVU they do. Yeah, well, because he's got, like, a huge magnifying lens, and he's, like, looking up close at her butterfly, and it's like, there are detectives here to talk to you because your son-in-law was just murdered, and you would have a motive to murder. I don't care. I've just... Yeah. Oh, look at this interesting fucking monarch. Like, shut up and talk to the cops. Whatever. Yeah, it's weird. They're so weird. So Benson points out that he doesn't seem very upset about Evan Ramsey's death, and he goes... <clears throat> As I gear up for his. (laughs) Right. And he goes, if you're asking me if I'm glad he's dead, the answer is yes. If you're asking me if I killed him, the answer is no. Although I'd like to buy the fellow who did it a drink. He talked like. Everything that I hate. Well, he talked like Bill Hader doing Keith Morrison. Especially when he goes, if you're asking me if I'm glad he's dead, the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I was listening to a, a Dateline podcast thing, and it was like him telling killer stories. And I, yeah. I just could not, not think about it. What's his face? Bill Hader. Bill Hader. His um, voice was like, like made, yes. made him <laughs> slash ruined him for me. Yeah. You know? Yes. Are you oh, smiling? Yeah. Was he all right? He was dead in the trunk. Okay. Charles had gone to dinner with Rebecca the night Evan Ramsey was murdered, mm-hmm. but he took her home and then came back to his house and went to bed. So Evan Ramsey was killed with a 32 Derringer, which are like those little tiny baby guns. Mm-hmm. And Charles Sutherland owned ones. He takes Benson and Slater to see it. And he rambles off all the fun, rich guy guns he collects from fucking world war one blah, blah, blah. he opens his gun case and the 32 is gone and he looks like genuinely fucking surprised and they're looking at him like you better grab your fucking tweed sport coat and come on down to the station he's like forget the butterflies let's go it's like try- filling up a suitcase full of butterflies <laughs> <laughs> um he's got him in his hat he's like <laughs> okay <laughs> He's like, ma'am. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> so now we're in an interrogation room. Uh, Beans and Stabler. I love when it autocorrects to Beans. Um, <laughs> Benson and Stabler have Charles in there for a little shitty chat. They want to pin the murder on him. So they're saying shit about how Evan sold the company and molested his grandchildren and how he hated him. And that's why he killed him. Stabler's like, dude, think about your family. Charles is like, don't presume to tell me about my family, detective. And he was awesome when he said that, too. He said it like really. I was like, oh, shit. Kind of put stabler in his place he said it in a way that made like all the butterflies around him die he said it and then all the butterflies that were hiding inside of his tweed coat came out and they picked him up and <laughs> out there no. <laughs> he's like goodbye detectives <laughs> oh but the butterflies can't carry him and his toes are scraping on the ground and the, i was gonna say his little feet <laughs> clunked on the fucking windowsill yeah like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay 
We're at Cragen's office. Benson and Stabler tell Cragen they both think dude seemed like genuinely surprised when his gun was missing. But he's got all the stuff like opportunity, access to a weapon, etc. But there's still something missing for them. They're wrong a lot about people. So it's just funny to me that mm-hmm. in the same episode where they're like, oh, yeah, this guy did this shit. And then it cuts to them being like, he seemed really surprised that his gun was missing. Yeah. I believe him. I believe him. I know. I know it's weird how they'll just do that. Cragen tells him that CSU did a canvas and located the gun in the sewer drain in the parking structure at the office that Evan Ramsey was murdered at. Mm -hmm. So they're running a check now. So Benson and Stabler are at CSU. It's definitely Sutherland's, Charles Sutherland's, and it's all a match to the bullet found found on Ramsey. It's it all matches the bullet. The gun matches the bullet found on Ram inside Ramsey. I'll do it. They're at CSU and Benson and Stabler are there. It's definitely Sutherland's gun. Grandpa, Chuck, Charles, Sutherland, his gun. (laughs) You're ruining it too. (laughs) I know. And it's all a match to the bullet found on Evan Ramsey. It's the murder weapon. They got a couple of Mm -hmm. clean prints off of the shell casings, but they don't match Sutherland. The prince. They don't is- match Grandpa Charles Sutherland. <laughs> so this is at this point I was like, it's fucking Rebecca, right? The mom. Like, she she left dinner and went and killed him and got the gun from her dad's whatever. Back at the Ramsey's home. Benson and Stabler are talking to Rebecca and they're asking her where she was. And she's like, I was at dinner with my dad and then I went home. Just like Charles Sutherland had said. She got home around nine and her daughters and the housekeeper were there. Just then Megan comes downstairs wearing the same fucking quilted brown jacket this entire episode like a goddamn cartoon character. The the every scene. Realize that. Lisa Simpson, you don't have to wear your jacket. We know who you are now. She said she like pulls her hands out of the pocket and it's like big white gloves. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to be late for the Macy's Day Parade. I'm afloat. <laughs> <laughs> that was a stretch. Uh, so the detectives ask Megan where she was. And Megan says that she picked up Jody from dance and came home and stayed the night with everybody at Rebecca's house. Mom corroborates that. And she's like, yeah, she was here with us. Rebecca says that Evan Ramsey should burn in hell for what he did to her daughters. But she didn't kill him. OK, mm-hmm. so we're in the squad room now. The whole fucking team is there. Like who killed Evan? Every family yeah. member can cover for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Calls to Evan Ramsey's office were placed from Megan's car phone between 9.30 and 10 p.m., which were the times that she was supposed to be asleep. Cragen goes, yeah. sounds like Megan's airtight alibi just sprung a leak. Oh, God. Yeah, that's right. I was like, shut up. Munch and Toots are back at Rebecca's house. They're talking to the housekeeper. She's been with them for 10 years. She says that Rebecca came home around 9 p.m. and took her sleeping pill and went to bed. She knows this Mm -hmm. because she was watching a show she likes that's on at that time. These were the days before DVR and streaming and shit. Can you fucking imagine? Like, I know that that was a part of our past, but I can't fucking imagine being like, oh, I got to be home at seven o'clock. Full house is on. Yeah. The girls all went out after Rebecca was in bed, though. They got back in after 11 p.m. The housekeeper knew that because Charlie Rose was on. Mm-hmm. They went up to Jody's room, closed the door, and the housekeeper heard lots of crying coming from the room. <gasps> oh, shit. So we're on the street. Benson and Stabler confront Rebecca and Jody, but they don't want to talk to Rebecca. They want to speak to Jody. And she's like, why? Me? <laughs> I wrote it. I wrote baby voice. <laughs> Me? Yeah. <laughs> 
so now they're in an interrogation room, right? No, 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 no. No, they're outside of this church or whatever. Yeah. Stabler's like, you're lying. Just quit it. We know you went out after your mom went to bed. And Rebecca's like, no, she didn't. She looks at her mom like, okay, I am lying. Yeah. Ramsey had been calling Megan and she wanted him to admit what he'd done, but he wouldn't do it over the phone. So her and Megan drove to his office. Megan told Jody to wait in the car and Megan went inside. A few minutes later, she came back and didn't want to talk about it and they left. Okay. Yeah. The mom's like shocked. This poor fucking lady. Benson and Stabler are walking and talking with Megan. She says she doesn't remember anything. She says sometimes she blacks out and she really, really doesn't remember. Benson doesn't believe it. Yeah. She was like, I didn't remember I was raped until a few months ago. Ask my therapist. Like, she's going to back me up. Ask my therapist. And that's the moment that I was like, this therapist... Hmm. Mm-hmm. So Benson and Staves are now in Dr. Wharton's office talking to the therapist. She says that she's not at liberty to discuss Megan's treatment because Megan decided to not waive privilege. Staves is like, mm-hmm. she's a suspect in her father's murder. If you thought she was going to commit a crime, you would be legally obligated to report it. And she goes, I have been a therapist for 15 years, detective. I don't need a lecture <laughs> in ethics. That's right. She's like angry watering her plants, too. Yeah. (laughs) So Benson's asking her some general questions about her treatment techniques. And Benson also asks her how exactly she recovers buried memories. Intense therapy. They're like, can you be more specific? Yeah. And she's like, oh. So she says it begins by recovering a flashback, like a snapshot in time. Slowly, more and more snapshots appear until the collage, because we're talking about photography now, becomes a Mm -hmm. complete picture. Wink. Mm -hmm. And once the patient faces what happened to them, they can begin to heal. Benson goes, how do you know if they're telling the truth? Which is a weird question to ask a therapist. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't know. So she's like, oh, I'll tell you. She has a physician administer sodium amytal to tell if the patient is telling the truth. Dabes goes, uh, truth serum. Like we all know what sodium amytal is. But then she kind of corrects Mm -hmm. Dabes when he says this and says a tranquilizer that reduces resistance and enables the therapist to probe for inconsistencies and verify the memories. They continue to question her techniques, Mm -hmm. but she's fucking over it and tells them that she's got a patient waiting. So now we're in the precinct and... Benson Stabler and Wong are doing like a walk and talk. He says that it's, quote, technically it's called the false memory syndrome, but he calls it the power of suggestion run amok. Wong says that the sodium amytal doesn't necessarily verify memories, but creates them. Most reputable therapists don't use it anymore. It places someone in a super vulnerable state where they could be easily manipulated. So Wong thinks that there was a chance that she never was raped by her father. He tells this whole story about a case he worked where a girl got police to dig up a park where she was convinced her dad had buried bodies of boys that he had raped and killed. No bodies were ever Mm -hmm. found, but the girl still super believed it because of the sodium amytal. So the whole time he's telling this story also, he's holding a Granny Smith apple with his talking hand. So he's like gesturing, and I'm just watching this apple in his hand. It was very distracting. (laughs) Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) Okay, Munch and Toot subpoenaed Megan's medical records. So she has an intact hymen, so she's a virgin, which I was... (laughs) like this is fucking problematic because that means nothing nothing we all know that an intact time means nothing it doesn't mean that you weren't real whatever okay they're like oh my god this bus is case case wide open like her hymen should be or whatever (laughs) you know (laughs) that's the worst (laughs) 
I know. Sorry about that. But that would be the writer's room is like, oh, that's a sweet one liner. Can we use it? No. (laughs) No. Okay, so we're in Cabot's office. So all of this is a figment of her therapist's imagination, and they're all feeling guilty, as they kind of should. I mean, but they didn't know. I mean, nobody fucking knew. The shell casing fingerprints match Megan's. But none of this would have happened without the therapist. But Megan pulled the trigger and planted all the, quote, evidence, which shows a clear mind. Mm. This is what Cabot's saying. Cabot's going to subpoena Jody to testify or she's going to be in contempt. Mm-hmm. Grand jury. Jody's on the stand saying Evan Ramsey called Megan after the charges were dropped because he wanted to see her and be a family again. I don't know why I said it like that. It doesn't matter. Be a family Megan. again. <laughs> well, because like now I'm feeling bad for this guy. He's like totally railroaded, you know? Like, Oh, yeah. You paid for your ticket. You got on this ride and buckled up. <laughs> you are here yeah. with the emotional roller coaster that they're taking you on. Yeah. SVU Six Flags. Mm-hmm. And I hate it. And I've barfed like five times. The dancing old guy, but he's a child monster. <laughs> That's terrible. Megan asked Jody to come along because she was really scared. So they drove to the office. Megan went in. Jody begins to get upset. She's like, she didn't do it. It was me. She said she didn't mean it to happen. Just the gun went off. So Cab is talking to the the crabby new DA's assistant dude, and they're doing a walk and talk. Interruption. This actor, like I saw him and I was like, "Mm mm-hmm, you're more than this. His name is Stan Villani. This actor plays Mm, Rachel's... Stan Villani, case of Demise. (laughs) This actor plays Rachel's dad and friends, a doctor in The Sopranos, and is a voice character on Archer. He also died in 2019. (laughs) Am I like a Christmas card from your grandma on this episode? He did so many things well he died carol got a cancer screening Mm, it doesn't look good merry christmas (laughs) oh my god well anyway so everybody in this episode who's over the age of 40 is dead now let's just here we are yeah that's happening to us okay dead He's mad and worried Jody is confessing to protect her sister. He's saying Jody's story never changed till Cabot gave Jody immunity in exchange for her testimony. And he's like, fucking fix this shit. Yeah. If Jody is lying, it's perjury. So it's not covered. But if she's telling the truth, yeesh, they just freed a 15 year old killer. Right. And he's like, down button on the elevator. Fix it. A finger through the door is closing. Cabot's office. Benson and Cabot walk in and Jody, Rebecca and their lawyer are there. Jody can say anything and not be charged unless she lies to Cabot. And then Cabot's got some like weird twisty plan, right? Mm hmm. Jody says Megan was too afraid to go into their dad's office alone. And when he opened the door, Megan just started screaming and he grabbed her and like shook her and told her to be quiet. And she dropped her purse. That's when Jody saw the gun, picked it up and told him to let Megan go. But he just wouldn't listen. He reached for the gun and it went off. He looked so surprised. Yeah. <laughs> God. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? The big bad wolf. Sorry. We're in Cabot's <laughs> office. Rebecca is... Are you done? Got any more in there? I think I might be done now. You go on ahead. I'll stay back here with these woodland creatures. They're helping me make a gun to kill my grandfather with. (laughs) Oh, shit. So we're in Cabot's office. Rebecca is upset, rightfully so. She can't make sense of this. And then she's like, oh, my God, my fucking husband. Like, he died being like, they all think that I'm hurting my daughters in the worst Mm -hmm. way. Yeah, and she's like, like, oh, my God, we all turned on him. Like, she's having a real moment with how he was yeah. feeling at the end of his life. I mean, she, like, legit got 
divorce papers filed up like the next day. She was on top of her shit. Was like yeah, I'm which done I with this guy, which I think is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, like it's the therapist's um, fault that they're in the that position or whatever. But good for her for being like, oh my god, what? I believe my daughters. Yeah, what are you gonna fucking do? I know. You know what I mean? This yeah. episode pisses me off in a bunch of different ways. We'll talk about it in a minute. Hold on. Okay. So Rebecca's like, what's going to fucking happen to this therapist? How many more families will she hurt? Right? Mm-hmm. Which t- cut to Dr. Wharton's office. Cabot busts in. <laughs> oh, I said that so hard it hurt my lips. <laughs> Cabot busts in and hands Dr. Wharton a subpoena for the records pertaining to the treatment of Megan, Jody, and Lily. She's also being arrested for reckless endangerment in the death of Evan Ramsey. Benson's like, when they... <laughs> When, they, when Benson's like grabbing the file, she was going like, no, and was like not touching them, but was like doing this, like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. like waving her, her hair, or like Bob was like waving around. It was super funny. You're supposed to private. What are, you like, do- what are you doing in my office? Oh, yeah. Benson's like, guess what? Megan recanted her accusations against her father. She has a new therapist. What Dr. Wharton has done amounts to malpractice now. So her license has been suspended pending an investigation. And then Olivia says quote what did she say <laughs> all around this is a day you'll never forget i roll yeah and that's the end bing bang bong okay so this pisses me off because this is just there's so many people that i'm sure afterwards were like yep women are liars mm, i know <laughs> you know what i mean and every act of this episode too it, there's just a lot of cliches in there and it's like we're trying to that people will cling to on the episode and be like yep okay This chaser is about recovered memories. Okay. Okay. Eileen Franklin was raised in Foster City, California by her parents, Leah and George Franklin, with her four siblings. Her dad was a real piece of shit. Okay. He was a violent, angry, physically and verbally abusive drunk and a fucking pedophile. Great. He molested his daughters and treated everyone in the family like he fucking hated them. You know, somebody would be sitting there minding their business, reading a book, and he'd walk by and just like fucking smack them on the back of the head. But anyway, so he behaved as if he hated everyone in his family, except for Eileen. He still molested her as well, but he spared her the violent physical abuse that everybody else got. For example, she would get special outings and treats. Nobody else ever got that kind of stuff. Like he would, you know, take her out for ice cream and shit like that. Was she the oldest, the youngest, middle? What was she was in the middle somewhere in the middle. I don't remember if she was the second or third. Hmm. So they're they're like, why would you be his favorite? Some reports said that it was because she resembled him the most out of all of the children. Mm -hmm. Outside of this terribly dysfunctional home, Eileen had a best friend, Susan Nason. She lived right around the corner. She lived right around the corner. I don't know why I'm talking like that. I'm like, she lived right around the corner on a late afternoon. (laughs) Just after. I felt like I did. You didn't even sound like that. <laughs> You're like, she lived right around the corner. And I was like, oh. <laughs> You're like, <"Ugh." laughs> she lived right around the corner. What if I turn this into no. a musical? Oh, my God. No, sorry. Make it a Lisa Loeb song. <laughs> you say she lived right around the corner. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not taking requests. Maybe I am. That's good. (laughs) On a late afternoon, just after 3 p.m. in September of 1969, 
Little redheaded eight-year-old Susan had asked her mother, Margaret, if she could run an errand in her hometown of Foster City, California. She wanted to drop something off at a classmate's home who lived not too far from her. Her mom let her go, but said she needed to come straight home when she'd finished. After some time, when Susan didn't return, Margaret got on her bike and rode around the neighborhood looking for her daughter. Unsuccessful and frantic, the Nasons called the police around 8 p.m. Search parties were formed, police investigated, but it was like she had just disappeared. Months later, okay. on December 2nd, 1969, F.A. Ray Bottomore was doing his regular rounds as a keeper patrolling the watershed areas around the Crystal Springs Reservoir in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Okay. Yeah, where do you think this was going? I don't know. Everybody got along and everybody was happy and they had a big Thanksgiving feast. They found her and she was like, I was just collecting berries for the cranberry sauce. Yeah, exactly. And then everything was happy forever. Yeah. The Crystal Springs Reservoir is not far from Foster City in San Mateo County. Okay. He pulled into a turnoff on Half Moon Bay Road and walked out to a clearing that ended in this drop off. Like a cliff? Um, Kind of. Yeah. Like people would like throw trash and shit over there, I guess. I don't know. It was like it was like a little sort of off road area. And then you you could walk this little trail um, and then there and would just be dip down. Into and there was like an open clearing. And then there was like kind of a steep drop at the end of this okay. little like clearing area. I read something that it was a place where like kids would go and, you know, smoke weed and fucking drink and whatever. Yeah. Um, we had a place like that. What was it called? Oh, my God. I can't remember. Hold on. The quarry. No, God, it was the this, dump. It was this place off of God. John will know when he gets home. I don't know. We used to like have bonfires out there, and like I remember one night, my friends and I ate a bunch of acid, and we went out there and had bonfires, and it was so fucking fun. And it was like everybody ended up there. It was so fucking small town Midwest. It was great. Anyway, where am yeah. I? Okay, so do you guys light a couch on fire? Because if you didn't, that's not a small town Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> I think a couple guys went mudding. Does that count? Yeah, that counts, yeah. French's Creek. French's Creek. Anyway, so he walks out to, like, the clearing where this drop-off is, and he looks over it. He, he Afterward, he's like, I'm not sure. I just, like, kind of, like, pulled over and was hanging out and looked over. He looked over the edge of this drop-off. He saw a discarded box spring mattress covered in brush, and he was like, what the fuck, or whatever, and had a little closer look at it. Sticking out from under the box spring, he found a small human skull with serious damage. Bottomore went back to his car and called it in. Forensics came out to find, along with the skull, was a full skeleton. It was Susan. She was wearing a blue dress, white socks, and saddle shoes. On her right hand was a silver ring that had been crushed. Near the remains, a large rock was found with blood on it. Like, they didn't see... Like, they tested it um, in a lab and found uh, human DNA. Wait, so how long after did, did he find her that there was a skull and, like, no head or, like skin and stuff or was there so he found her on december 2nd and she went missing in september how would there only be a skull that is not a few long, i feel like that's not long enough well it's i mean it is in is that southern california i don't know maybe like the sun maybe animals mm, yeah i don't know it was determined that susan had been hit in the head with the rock and tried to block it crushing her hand mm. and her ring So after a lengthy investigation with many people questioned, the case lagged and eventually went cold. Cut to 1989. Okay. Charles Etter, an inspector with the San Mateo DA office, got a phone call from a dude named Barry Lipsker saying his wife had witnessed a murder 20 years prior. His (gasps) wife's name was Eileen Franklin Lipsker, and she was claiming she had watched her father, George Franklin, (gasps) Rape and murder Susan Nason in 1969. 
Because it was her best friend, right? Yeah, it was her best friend. Okay, oh so my God. I'm going to greatly reduce the investigation and stuff for time, but there's so many details that paint a full picture of discrepancies. So when I was researching this, I found that there's going to be a four-part docuseries called Buried that centers completely around <gasps> this case. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to watch it. But it comes out in like um, October, I think. On what? It's going to be on Showtime. Anyway... This is Eileen's account of what happened that led to her revelation. Eileen was sitting on the couch in her living room, giving her two-year-old son Aaron his bottle while she watched her oldest daughter, Jessica, play on the floor. Seemingly out of nowhere, something about the way Jessica posed and looked up at her in an instant opened a floodgate of a 20-year-old memory of watching her own father murder Susan Nason. Mm-hmm. Through looking at her daughter, Eileen saw her father standing over Susan with a rock over his head. He struck her, and as he went to strike her again, she raised her hand to block the next hit. Eileen confided mm-hmm. in her husband and then to her mom and her other family. So the most fucked up part about this is it wasn't the first time that the family had discussed the matter of George committing this crime. Wait, hold on. Was her mom divorced from him when she talked to her? She, Yeah, she ended up getting a divorce, yeah. Okay. Uh, anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Why? Because you know the story? Know, like, oh, no, because I was like, did she have to like take her mom out and be like, oh, I'm getting the there. I'm getting there. The, the family dynamic is, I mean, there was so much abuse in that house and it was so dysfunctional mm-hmm. that like that carries over into adult relationships. So there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of stuff that isn't like the core of the episode, but it's the core of the problem, you know? Yeah. Okay. So George, like so many other neighbors and friends, were obviously questioned by police during the initial investigation. They lived right on the corner. He was the dad of Susan's best friend. Like, of course, he's going to be questioned. But there were strange details that followed her death, like that George Franklin visited Susan's grave on the one year anniversary of her death. Years before Eileen had her revelation, her sister Janice had gone to police to report that she believed her father killed Susan. And the only reason that didn't go anywhere is because there was a time discrepancy in Janice's story. So the police completely discounted it. When she went to the police, she said that her dad was drinking bourbon and acting super weird and just like zoning out from like 4 p.m. on that day. She's like, oh, I got home and he was just being super weird. I've never seen him like that sitting in the chair drinking and being like just odd. It just struck her. Yeah. But like he was zoning out and not being a dick to us. And we that was weird. (laughs) Yeah. But all that story did was alibi her father since that's when the crime was occurring. Like, Susan went missing mm-hmm. after 3 p.m. So, okay. but later on, though, after Eileen's story came out, Janice would say that she thinks that she had gotten the time wrong when she told her story. But they didn't look in any, they're like, oh, wrong time. It's like, bitch, she went years after the, years after the murder she went to. It. Like, don't you think time would be off? Like, she was a kid. Anyway, I don't know. Eileen's mom, Leah, had divorced her abusive husband in 1974 after 17 years. And when this was going on, she had asked him point blank if he killed Susan. Yeah. Whoa. They all knew he was capable of it. And they all speculated it separately that he'd actually done it. But like, why? You know what I mean? Like they knew he was a piece of shit. But like what what made them all go? He probably killed her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. So now all of a sudden in 1989, there was an apparent eyewitness with a repressed memory of that day. Even though this came to her in January of 1989, Eileen wouldn't report this to the police until November of that year when Barry called the police on her behalf. She didn't even want to call. He was like, Mm -hmm. I'm calling the cops like you need to talk to the police about this. On November 25th, 1989, detectives Morris and Cassandro sat in Eileen Franklin's living room as she told them in very specific detail about that day. 
Mm-hmm. Eileen remembers being six years old in her father's Volkswagen van and seeing Susan walking on the street. Mm-hmm. Eileen had said, oh, there's Susan. Can we pick her up? Her dad's like, sure. Pulled over, picked her up. Janice was supposedly in the car and he made her get out. Janice doesn't have a memory of this, but Eileen swears that that is the case. Mm-hmm. George drove the girls out to a remote area and she remembers them playing and jumping on the mattress that was in the back of her dad's van. And oh God, he's got a mattress in the back of his van. Yeah. At one point, George came to the back and Eileen climbed in the front passenger seat. And Eileen looked on as her father held Susan down and began to rape her. When she realized he was hurting her, Eileen curled up in a ball and closed her eyes and just like waited for it to be over. Afterwards, outside of the van, Susan was sitting on a rock, softly crying and George came up behind her, crushing her skull with the rock. Eileen ran away and George quickly Jeez, caught up. Fuck. Is this too is this too graphic? No, it's just like I mean it, it's graphic, but it's like fine. Okay. It's just like holy shit. So George catches up with Eileen and grabs her, throws her to the ground, and says, It was your idea to get Susan in the van. If you tell what happened, no one's gonna believe you. They'll lock you up. If you tell, I will have to kill you. Oh, my God. The detectives left Eileen's house that day fully convinced that George Franklin had raped and murdered Susan Nason in front of his daughter 20 years ago. Yeah. On November 28th, 1989, George Franklin was questioned by the detectives. And the first thing he said when they brought up the murder of Susan was, am I a suspect? Then he asked, did you talk to my daughter? Okay, George. Okay. Okay. The next day, police arrested George Franklin under suspicion of murder. Upon a search of his home, police found pornographic material, including images of women dressed up like little girls and graphic stories of father-daughter incest. Oh, my God. Fuck this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Investigators also reached out to women that Franklin had dated and met through Swingers magazines. Nearly all of these women had stated that George Franklin had asked them to send him nude photos of their underage daughters and would ask them if they'd ever had sex with their own fathers. So based on this, proof that this guy is a pedophile plus the profile given by professionals on who they thought may be responsible for Susan's death, which was a pedophile she possibly knew, is like one of the, they were like, this is probably who killed her. Plus Mm -hmm. Eileen's story, they charged him with the murder of Susan. So Mm -hmm. that sounds like it's all wrapped up in a neat little package, you know? But they didn't have any real, like, they didn't have any actual actual physical evidence. Okay. Correct. You are on the right page, detective. Gumshoe. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Adjust your hat or whatever. (laughs) Where in the world is? Go ahead. There are a few conflicting stories after George Franklin's arrested coming from Eileen. This is not to... Okay, yeah, I want to put a little notation. This is not to discredit her and her siblings' abuse and molestation that they experienced in any way, but she told a few conflicting stories on how she actually recovered the memories, including Mm -hmm. initially telling the police that she had buried the memory over time out of fear, but then later admitted that she had completely blocked it out and it came through in that nightmarish moment with her daughter. It was also reported that she had told family members that she had recovered it in psychotherapy under hypnosis and then later in nightmares Regarding that, she had asked her brother George Jr. and her sister Janice to not repeat that she had told them hypnosis had been a factor in her recovered memories. More on that in a minute. 
When her father was awaiting trial, she had, against the advice of her counsel, gone to visit him with the alleged intention of getting him to confess to her. After her visit, she told her lawyer that her dad didn't confess, but after she had asked him to admit that he had killed Susan, he pointed at a sign that said, conversations may be monitored and didn't say a word. So she's like, eyebrows. Yeah. She gave all kinds of interviews as well. She was on Oprah. She wrote a book. I mean, this was like Mm. huge. Like this recovered memory shit was banging in the fucking 80s early 90s too right yeah it was the 80s into the early 90s where it got like really big like this was a catalyst for that it was a catalyst for people digging for repressed sexual abuse and things like that in in their childhood and all this stuff started coming out people having stories of you know like satanic rituals and Oh, yeah. This was like during the satanic panic, too. Yes. Yes. It's like one story goes into the other, goes into the other. God, what a great band name, Satanic Panic. I wonder if somebody's got a band name. Oh, a million percent. So in one of these interviews, she had also said that the memories came from a series of flashbacks that she had had over a period of years. It wasn't until the Mm -hmm. pretrial that Eileen gave her testimonial account of how this came to her. The story of looking at her daughter and having the scene play out in a flash. So... Mm-hmm. That right there makes you kind of go, oh, Eileen. Yeah. The trial began in October of 1990 with Eileen as the star witness. There was no physical evidence, but instead the prosecution relied 100% on Eileen's resurfaced memories. Mm-hmm. Eileen had testified, quote, he said that if I told anyone he would have to kill me, I believed him. During the trial, psychiatrists testified to the great possibility that because of the traumatic nature of the events, she was able to repress these memories for years. There was also a slew of psychiatrists and psychologists who testified for the prosecution as well as the defense. Mm -hmm. I mean, Hmm. so of course there were arguments on both sides that supported who they were brought in to support. Those for the prosecution explained the concept of repressed memories, while the defense said that Eileen didn't fit the profile of someone who repressed memories. Oh, and some even argued the possibility of completely forgotten memories resurfacing like that at all. So it was mostly psychologists and psychiatrists on the stand talking about this. And really they're, they're just trying to credit or discredit Eileen's memory and the possibility without like, without any like physical evidence, like what chance do they have that he was actually going to get charged with it though? Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. Oh, like we were just talking about resurfaced repressed memories were huge in the psychology world at this time. And the trial was immensely focused on that debate itself. Trial ends. George Franklin is convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. That is. That's crazy. I'm not done. Cut to 1995. George is five years into his life sentence. Okay. There's a lot Mm -hmm. more skepticism about repressed memory recovery and more research being done on false memory syndrome. This is just me. Do I, I, I Googled this quote. (laughs) False memory syndrome is, quote, caused by memories of a traumatic episode, most commonly childhood sexual abuse, which are objectively false, but in which the person strongly believes. These pseudo memories usually arise in the context of adult psychotherapy and are often quite vivid and emotionally charged. During this time that George was in prison and this was kind of all like swirling around and happening in the world, George's defense attorneys had been busy and their efforts paid off. U.S. District Judge Lowell Jensen threw out George Franklin's conviction and life sentence based on this list of crucial errors. One, during the trial, the prosecution argued that because George didn't actively deny killing Susan, that implicated his guilt. Remember when she went to the prison Mm. to visit him or whatever? And he's just like pointed at the sign that he wasn't going to say anything. They acted in the trial like that was this big gotcha moment. And the judge was like, "Mm, that's not okay." 
Two, the judge in the first trial didn't allow the defense to bring in newspaper articles that proved that Eileen's recovered memories that supposedly were not public knowledge actually proved that it was public knowledge. Susan's ring, the mattress, these are all things that had been reported, but that fact was not brought to the jury. Instead, it was presented as if it had only been in the coroner's report and Eileen wouldn't have access Mm. to that information unless she had been there, which was not true. Yes. So they were trying to be like, she remembered all this crazy stuff that happened that nobody knew about, but really everybody did. Yeah. Yeah. And the the defense wasn't allowed to bring in things directly proving that that was a false statement. Um, That's why. That's so odd. I'm not rooting for the fucking guy. No. Oh, no. But it's just like. That's odd, but okay. There were even small details that the newspaper got wrong, like details about what uh, what the ring looked like, and that's how Eileen repeated them. As like she repeated them from a, a newspaper story, not from memory, because it was incorrect. And three, Eileen and her sister both testified that Eileen had not been put under hypnosis when, in fact, she had told Janice and George Jr. that she had been. So that was the biggest of the things that I just listed that would completely scrap the retrying of this case. California law says that any information that is brought forward as a result of hypnosis is inadmissible in court. So Eileen yeah. later said that she was lying to her brother and sister when she told them she's like, oh, I wasn't really hypnotized. I was lying, thinking that it would make me sound more credible to them. Like she didn't know that that wouldn't be allowed in court. Yeah. Another reason that Eileen's credibility became even shakier was that she claimed to have witnessed two other murders perpetrated by her father. While George was serving time in prison, Eileen had also come forward stating that her father had committed two other rape murders, 18-year-old Veronica Cassio and 17-year-old Paula Baxter. When police investigated these claims in 1995, they could not connect George to them, but instead ID'd another male DNA profile. So they were like, yeah, this is 100% not him. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, in 2018, the DNA linked Rodney Lind Hallbauer to those murders. And I dove so fucking deep on all this shit. I am going to write a Patreon chaser about Rodney Lind Hallbauer. It's... Ooh, that sounds good. Like, he's a fucking piece of shit. But... What is it? Rodney. Oh, I'm Rodney. Not, I, I was going to write it down, but I'm like, I'm not going to. I'm going to No, don't. No, yeah, don't. Don't. I'm going to try to get that chaser done and get that out in September. So, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff equals George Franklin was released. In 1996, he filed a lawsuit against his daughter, Eileen, her therapist, and San Mateo County law enforcement. And the judge is like, fuck you, George. Go home. <laughs> They were thrown out. So the original chaser I was doing was actually on the first person who won a case suing for a therapist implanting false memories with sodium amytal. This this girl had these repressed memories of being molested by her dad. And like he lost his like big deal job. His wife divorced him, all this stuff. And he like insisted, insisted, insisted that he didn't do it, whatever, to the point where he sued the therapist. And it was the first case ever where a therapist was sued by someone who wasn't a patient and he won. And yeah, but like that doesn't have a happy ending either. But that one had like, like zero, zero good come out of it because his wife was like, I don't believe you. And his daughter's like, I 100% believe this happened to me. He's like, I lost my family. I lost everything, you know? So it's kind of like, well, what's the good outcome that comes with this one? Um, well, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so None. <laughs> there aren't. Uh, that's so he, he's out of he's out of prison. George Franklin was released from prison, and when no did he fir- die? 
Fingers crossed. I couldn't find anything. It's like he he's alive. I read somewhere that he had moved to like somewhere in Southern California. Blah, 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 blah. Do you think he did it? Well, yeah, dude. Yeah. I think he killed Susan. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Eileen saw it. I mean, Eileen has a lot of trauma. Yeah. I don't oh, want to yeah, like say sure. like who she is in a, as an <clears throat> adult or whatever, but a hundred percent she's got a ton of trauma, you know, and has did had you, did so when she said that they were jumping up and down in the mattress that was in the like dump thing, or was it in the back of his It was in the was back there two mattresses involved? It was in the back of the van. And so there was there were some So did um, he throw it out with her then? That's what some people I'm had wondering. said, but but that's not the case because he had a mattress back there and they found her under a box spring. And a box spring would not have fit in the back of his van. Like that was already oh, something yeah. that had been looked into. Okay. Oh, what kind of fucking piece of shit has a mattress in their van? There was something else she'd said, like that he had made her help him with the mattress and whatever, and they were like, That doesn't add up because she wasn't under a mattress, she was under a box spring and did it yeah but yeah so no no further charges were filed the saddest part is that like susan nason gets so lost in it like this is so sad in that regard like it's the the whole thing is fucked and heartbreaking and awful but i don't believe that eileen was doing it for any other reason than she truly believed that yeah because false memory can feel very real and even if she didn't technically have a false memory maybe she was just like i didn't me and Jody know that dad did this shit and we're going to find, I'm going to find a, I don't know. Whatever. Who's Jody? Who's her sister? Janice? Oh, Janice. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck is Jody? <laughs> <laughs> Jody's like, leave me the fuck out of this. <laughs> that was it. That was good. Season one, <laughs> episode one. <laughs> that was good. Wait, season three, episode one. Season three, episode one. Yeah, it's nice to be back, you know? It just feels real good. Oh, feels good, feels fresh, ready to go. Let's do our little deal. Follow us on Instagram, all social media, actually, at SVUPod. Check out our website, svupod.com. We're still hashtagging a little bit loud, and we're still looking for other pods to support each other. We've got such amazing podcasts that are, like, constantly shouting us out on Twitter. Fuck my work life pod is mm-hmm. on top of just lifting up the little bit loud hashtag. So is Munch My Benson. Like, I just really appreciate other small pods, like us, like supporting each other. And I want to be able to do more. Yeah, me too. Also, we've got new merch on the website mm-hmm. and we have a Patreon. Patreon. That was good. Thanks. <laughs> so go check out our Patreon. And if you want bonus content, bonus episodes, um, some other extra stuff that's exclusive to patrons, boop, boop, it's there for you now. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, more excited than you. <laughs> we'll fucking see about that. Um, yeah, and to our Patreon supporters, you guys are the best. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. For the next episode, episode two of season three. Mm. So three unrelated people connected with Benson's cases are found ritualistically murdered. Mm. And all the evidence points to a guilt-ridden Benson as the true target of the violence. And that's called Wrath. Did I not even say the name of it? Wrath. And the chaser I have for this is something that I've followed for a long time and I've been like trying to make it fit. And it fucking fits. Oh my god, I'm so excited. What is it? Don't tell me. Okay. (sighs) I like to be surprised, but I also want to know everything all the time. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. Because I love that moment where I go, we're talking about... And you're like... (gasps) 
I yeah. live for it. It fills me. Ew, I'm not going to leave that, that in. Does. Gross. It <laughs> it fills me. It fills me like a moist, warm, delicatessen, mushy. What's another word I hate? Creamy egg. <laughs> Ew. Okay, that's it. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Camp Anawana, we hold you in our hearts when we think about you. <laughs> They're all like, look at all my medals. Just like jingling around. Somebody's got medals, but they're nipple clamps. <laughs> Jesus. Booby tassels. What kind of luncheon is this? <laughs> <laughs> it is New York City, Gabe. <laughs> Something for everybody. I was like, can't she just have a fucking thing? Can she just have one thing in her life that's hers? You know. I know that's why you did that. <laughs> We're going to be so great in therapy and honest and open. <laughs> There's only so much you can be invited into this. <laughs> You're the best, Mom. And You're the best, boy. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. She's so like, oh, my God. Uh, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Did you, are you writing this down? <laughs> fucking idiot. Okay. <laughs> There's times where I'm like, that sounds like a bad edit, and it's just us talking. But we sound like a bad edit. Our <laughs> friendship is a bad edit. <laughs> <laughs>